most of you know me. I'm Jonathan Woodring, and I'm church planner and co-pastor with the Refuge in Plainfield as well. And Jason moved his family here from Springfield to help us with that. And um, honestly, Rashad had called and asked, hey, would you be willing to preach next week? Just to kind of give everybody some time to process from last week's announcement and to give a breather. And we're like, <laughs> I don't know about a breather, but yeah, we can do that. So, but my suggestion was, why don't you reach out to, to Jason, though? Because Jason's done this. And, and while I've done it, too, I've done that in a very different capacity. So um, years and years ago, eons, I was a youth pastor in Bentonville, Arkansas, Pennsylvania, as a church planter, a co-church planter and associate pastor at Life Point Church there in Washington, Pennsylvania. And so um, when we left there, we had to figure out how do we leave healthy, how do we leave in a way that, um, yes, people are going to miss us as friends and individuals and even as a spiritual leader, but how do we leave them better spiritually than where they started so that when we leave, it's kind of like the parents dropping off the kids at college and, and going their separate ways and they're going to be fine, right? And so we wanted to have kind of that mentality. My time at Bentonville was not like that at all. Um, I got there. We saw a church that very much revolved around the idea or the construct of church as we know it here, which is you have a building, you have a schedule, you have certain events, and you have money. <laughs> and that's what makes the church go round in America. And uh, so I was invited to this. I saw a group of students that went from the mid-teens in number to us having over 30 in just short of a year. And so more than doubled. And then I saw a church split. I saw a church get torn in half. Um, there was a lot of fault. And I said, what in the, and it was my first time on staff at a church <laughs> as a youth pastor. And I'm thinking, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and so I really started questioning right then and there, a year of occupational, vocational ministry. And I'm, I'm sitting there asking the question, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be in ministry. I don't know if this is for me. A year. And so I leave. I know Jason's got some similar situations and some similar stories with churches he's been at. And then with the church that we just recently left, completely different. I was heartbroken when I left that church too for the opposite reason. We had developed deep relationships. We had discipled people there as part of LifePoint. And we got to see them grow in maturity and actually develop into more devoted Jesus followers than they were. Now they're, some of them are in leadership roles. Some of them are just in their daily lives, continuing to disciple people and continuing to reach people and continuing to share that the change in their life is Jesus. And um, so that's where um, my story kind of stopped in this realm. And uh, we really want to tackle some things with you. So we were invited to come and to talk to you. And I don't know how many of you might be feeling stressed. You know what? It's a small enough group. We're just going to ask the questions. Is that like, How many of you are kind of stressed out after last week? Good. One. Um, <laughs> How many of you are being open and honest about None of them. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, okay. Y'all can. Hey, by the way, I do facility technology for a living, just so everybody knows. <laughs> So who do you call? <laughs> um, so when we left Springfield, it wasn't a, it wasn't a sudden thing. It was a process. Um, I love that Rashad is, is taking time to leave. Um, I don't know how you feel. I don't know where your emotions are, but I know that he's your brother in Christ, so love him. I'm going to say that again because I want to make sure that you hear it clearly. Love him. We went to... We were at Springfield. I was the pastor there. I, was, I had been there, guys, eight years and had loved every minute of it. I was on the verge of quitting ministry. I had told God if I have another experience like this, I have no desire to continue a ministry. I was pastoring a church. We had a man come to the Lord. His sin 
was such that the church could not bear that sin. And when he came to Jesus Christ, I did not tell them of the sins that he struggled with. It was not their business, and it was not my place. I told them nothing of it. I present him as a candidate for baptism. He gets baptized. The rumor mill begins to spread around town. Everybody finds out what it is that he had a problem with before he came to Christ. The church comes to me and says, how dare you not tell us? And I say, how dare you ask? Because it's not your business. If God can forgive you, God can forgive him. If God will forgive him, God will forgive you. You have no business knowing it. Um, we went on vacation. We got voted out on a Wednesday. Um, I get ready to go to Springfield um, to go and to fill in. And my heart is such that I'm like, God, I don't know if I can do this again. We go there and we find a church that absolutely loves our family. Loves our family like God intended for a church to love a family. And we spend eight years, and it is the most wonderful eight years that I've ever had in church prior to coming up here. My kids leave. We come up here, and it breaks the heart of my daughter and my oldest son because it's all they've ever known. JoJo's five. He's resilient. He's kind of like made like a rubber ball, so he just bounces off everything. Um, Literally. Yeah. We come up here, we go, we do a visit, and we know that this is what God wants for us. And we have to go back and we have to tell Springfield, listen, God is pulling us away. God has given us a new desire, and we want to be obedient to that desire. And you know what God was doing? God was preparing them for that. And my response is, I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know how long we'll be here, but I know God is moving us towards this. And so in the interim... Let's talk about what church is going to look like. You're a congregation of 30 in rural Arkansas. You're an hour from any major metropolitan area, and the possibility of you getting a full-time pastor to come here is slim to none. The possibility of you finding a part-time pastor, a bivocational pastor to come up here, it's going to be pretty slim. I'm preparing you because you may go eight months to a year without a pastor minimum. And the church says, okay, so what do we do? And I said, that's a great question. And we begin to teach, and we begin to work, and we begin to go through this. And so when I say to you that you do not have to have Jonathan and me up here today, it's because I know a church that grew spiritually for nine months to a year without a pastor to lead the congregation. I know a church that grew closer to one another, that had devotion increase over nine months to a year without a pastor. And so that's why we say that we don't have to be here and you say, Brother Jason, that's all experiential, but can you back that up from Scripture? And I tell you, we absolutely will before this is over. So um, with that, we wanted to ask you guys some questions because there is this, this construct of church. That that's why he grabbed the stools, y'all, so we'll wait to get an answer. Uh, yeah, the, we got our phones on us and, you know, Pokemon Go, Community Day was yesterday. So anyway, we got stuff to do if you don't respond, so engage um, and then we can get out of here on time. Anyway, <laughs> um, but we have some questions. That's what the whiteboard is for. And uh, with our understanding, and, and granted, th it's a fair reason that we have arrived where we are when it comes to our understanding of what church is. Um, we're all guilty of, of that mentality of going to church. Where is church? And, you know, having those kind of phrases in our uh, everyday life, um, people are like, well, where do you go to church? What time does it start? And biblically, church isn't a, an event. It's not a place. It's not a specified place. Church, and you all know this because this has gotten drilled in our brains, and so there's this kind of weird battle of which one is which. Church is what? The people, the body, yeah. Okay, immediately, like people are ready to pounce on that. Church is the people in the body. But then we continue to talk about church as this place or this event or this schedule. And if the church is a body, then it's supposed to be active, right? Would everybody agree with that? Okay. So somewhere down the line, whether it's been over a few hundred years or a few thousand years, there's been this, this miss. There's been this redefinition or this refocus or this misconception of the responsibility of a church versus the responsibility of a pastor. And so I just kind of want to gauge where you all are as Church on the Rock because 
I know some people are stressed out. We've talked to a few people that have reached out and said, what do we do now? And we say, chill out. <laughs> um, but then there are some people that they have a pretty good grasp on what church versus pastor, not actually against each other, but as far as roles and responsibilities are supposed to be. So um, this is the uh, participation part of the program. What is your understanding of the role of a pastor? What is the role of a pastor in a church? To lead and teach. All right. I'm going to throw the questions back to you so I can... I can't multitask. All right, I saw somebody over here had something. To shepherd the sheep. That's a great one. Uh, give Jonathan time to write. Anybody else want to add something? Um, these are good. These are sort of those overarching roles, but give me some specifics if you have specifics. What? Counseling? Loving. I like that one. Um, I mean, it's almost cliche. It's almost a church answer, but it's definitely accurate, right? Um, what other answers? Anybody? <laughs> Definitely prayer. Um, discipling, excellent. You were worried you wouldn't get answers. They just sit here. I told them we should bring the Nintendo Switches and then just sit up here and play the Switch until people answered. <laughs> My kids were worried I'd mess up their save files, so. <sighs> Others. Someone to hold you accountable? Accountability? Man, I'm liking these. What was the other one? Jonathan's hearing is better than mine, so. I can't remember what it started with even. What do you think? Is that good? We got plenty Dur there? Was correction what it was? I, yeah. I thought I heard direction too. Is that? <laughs> direction? Yeah. Okay, I'll put it on there. <laughs> good job, whoever that was. <laughs> well done, Jonathan. You answered your own question. I like it. The reason we ask this is because obviously you're about to enter a transition state, which means you're about to go and, and ultimately decide what you're going to do about a pastor going forward. So it's good for us to talk about this, think about this. All right, what's the responsibility? All right, this is a tough one because it goes from somebody to you guys. What's the responsibility of the church? Just move them all over? Did you hear that? <laughs> just put an arrow. Just, just bracket it and then point over, okay? Here, we'll just, I'll erase the lines right here and just... You are a very astute woman, okay? <laughs> to serve? serve. Okay. okay. I'm going to switch pens. That one's not working. Or markers. Oh, it's really sounding like there's a lot of overlap in these groups, Jonathan. Spread the gospel? For sure. All right. So we'll get to that in a minute. Now let me ask you a question because Jonathan erased the lines. Um, can a church be a church without a pastor? Can a church do what a church needs to do without a pastor? Do you need us up here then? All right, let's go. <laughs> that was really short-lived. We had stuff prepared. We didn't even get halfway through. <laughs> um, and those of you that can't see, we'll just, can everybody see that? And remember, I told you, his writing is better than mine. So yeah. just imagine what that would be I don't like. usually write on vertical. Um, so it's a genuine question. It's a sincere question. Is a church a church without a pastor? Scripturally, we find yes. You want to know, I'm going to go right back to a point, and I'm going to share something with you. If you look at the role of pastor, you know how it is referred to according to Scripture? It is, and I, I'm quoting here, well, not quoting, but I, pretty close to it. It is listed as one of the gifts to the church. Let that sink in for a second. It is a gift to the church. We moved up here, and guys, listen, I'm from Arkansas. Arkansas, I know my way around, like the back of my hand, I can get almost anywhere. Um, like, just hop in the car and drive, and I'll get there. I know how to do it. I come up here, I don't have a clue how to get anywhere. So I start using GPS, I start using Waze and Google Maps and everything else, and I start using it to find my way everywhere, because I'm new to everything. And then you know what ends up happening? I drive back and forth to Pendleton like 10 times in the last two weeks. And I have literally used Google Maps for every trip up and every trip back on that. I know the way by heart. I may not know all the road names, but I can get out and go that way. And I know I can get there if I turn Google Maps off. Why? Because as we were preparing for this, Friday I turned Google Maps off and I drove the whole way back home without it. And I got there at my normal time. So, 
If you say, what does that have to do with anything? Sometimes that's exactly what a pastor is for a church. He's there to show you the way. He's there to teach you, to lead you down a new path. He's there to give you direction, as someone posted on there. But if you're not careful as a church, what you end up doing, and listen to me here, what you end up doing is you make yourself dependent on the pastor to get everywhere that you need to go. A lot of times, again, we talk about this construct of church. With pastors, um, the responsibility falls a lot on them, and they become the go-to. And so, unfortunately, in a lot of situations, when a church gets to the point where you are now, where Springfield was, there's this oh-no moment. And it's because the pastor has become the identity of the church. The identity of the church isn't supposed to be the pastor. And the identity of the church is not supposed to be any one individual that attends or gathers with or is part of that said church. The identity is supposed to be who? Jesus. And so, as a Jesus follower, as a Christian and a disciple, it's your responsibility to look like Jesus. It's the church's responsibility to be the hands and feet of Christ in the community and in the church. Because it also, what we're going to be talking about today, and we're going to be looking at Colossians, those of you that want to go ahead and turn or want to jot down that in your notes, Colossians 3. I know you've been talking in Ephesians about this, the gifts that are given to the church, the apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, shepherds, all these types of leaders and people in the church that are able to guide and direct and teach. And what's the word? Starts with an E in Ephesians. <laughs> Equip. There it is. I was going to wait for it, man. As long as I had to. I wanted to answer, but I'm like, I don't think he wants me to answer. <laughs> Not you, that. Jason. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Equip. Equip means to, to give you the utilities, the necessities to be able to accomplish something, right? And a lot of times that gets missed because as churches, we see people, they come, they attend, they get, they leave, they come, they attend, they get, they leave, they come, they attend. Where's the giving? Where, like... You said that the whole list could be moved to the church. Council? Who, who has the bulk of that responsibility in most churches? In most churches? In most churches. The pastor. Now, whose responsibility is it, biblically? It's the church. As far as loving, that one went, that one went both ways. As far as serving, fellowship, supporting. Well, support and accountability... Disciple, correction, actually correction, correction is specifically to the church. And not to the pastor. <laughs> it's not a pastor's job. That's, that's setting up for a tyrant. <laughs> but let's, let's talk about a difference in magnitude real quick. Anybody tell me the number or the names of the epistles in the New Testament, the names of those letters in the New Testament specifically for pastors? Anybody know those names? And there's an iffy one. There's an iffy one. Sometimes it's called, but it's not always, and that's Philemon, Okay. Now, we'll just start rattling off for the sake of time the names of the letters that are actually two churches. And a lot of these have actual specific instruction in them for pastors at these churches. Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1st and 2nd Peter are written to the people of Christ. James is written to the believers in Christ. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, seven churches in the book of Revelation. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Then in places you find reference to the churches of Asia Minor. You find reference to the churches gathered in various other places. So then when we tell you the things that we're telling you, understand we're not speaking from a place of this is just our opinion or this is our experience. You are who the majority of the books of the New Testament are written to. And to go even beyond that. By the way, 16 minimum is the number if you're wondering. So 16 to 4, four times as many books written specifically for the church's purpose than for a pastor. So put that in perspective, and, and to make it even greater perspective, in the New Testament, there's 27 books or letters. So 16 minimum out of 27 are for the church. Here's where it gets a little heavier and a little deeper. 
that in Ephesians, and I believe it's in chapter 5, that it talks about the relationships of husbands and wives. It says, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the pastor and gave himself for... I don't think that's it, John. It's not what it says, right? <laughs> Who did he give himself for? The church. the church. You look at the book of Revelation, and if you look at seven churches there, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, pastor. No. He refers specifically to the churches. Why does it matter? I won't give an account for you. I honestly won't. At the end of my ministry, I will give an account for what I have said. But I will not give an account for you. And I'm going to go ahead and lay this out there, by the way. Rashad will not give an account for you. He will give an account for his guidance, for his teaching, for his direction. But you know who will give an account for you? You will give an account for you. Why does this matter? Because, listen, you are God's chosen method of reaching people in this world. You are God's chosen place to receive glory in this world. You, as a body of believers, are responsible for carrying out God's plan here on earth. We're just little bitty cogs in what it is that God has planned here. You want to go ahead and we'll start Colossians 3? Yeah, let's jump into Colossians 3. We're going to start in verse 12. We're going to go ahead and read just the whole thing so that we have the time to fill everything in. But in Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. This is actually our family's mission verse, verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So teaching's not just for the pastors, right? Right. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever hearts. you do. Not heart. Hearts. Hearts. Yeah. Plural. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can we stop for a second and pray before we go any further? Lord, give us understanding, please. Give us wisdom, please. As we look to your word, as we look to rightly divide your word, Lord, let it be that everything we say and everything we do, as everything and everything we've already said and done, let it be, Lord, all that it would do is magnify you, glorify you, and reveal your wisdom and your desire for us. Let it be that you would speak through us, Lord, and not our, us ourselves speaking. Lord, let it be that it would accomplish what you desire today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's good news in this passage, by the way. And the beautiful, wonderful good news is um, right there at the start of it. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, Put on then, get this, as God's chosen ones, holy and Beloved, three ways that we are described here, three ways that you are described here. God's chosen one. He has a plan for you. Anyone here ever have plans and mess them completely up? You don't have to have circumstance do it. You do it on your own. The God of the universe has, <laughs> Perry won't raise his own hand, but he'll raise his hands. Um, God has plans for you. He has taken from the moment that you have accepted him as your Savior, he has taken and he is wanting to guide and to shape and to mold your life and accomplish something wonderful with it. God has chosen you. More than that, though, he says here, in addition to that, he says that you are holy. You are set aside for something wonderful, for his use, specifically for him. I don't think you're... I don't, I, I, Man, how do you express the magnitude of how amazing that is? I don't know. <laughs> Literally the God of the universe. Anyone here ever met a king? Anyone here ever met a king? Even Any, the president. Anyone I mean. here shook hands with the president? Anyone here ever sat in the presence of the richest man on the face of the planet? I don't even know who that is anymore. Anyone here ever gotten to that point? 
If you shook your head no, it's a shame because you have literally entered into a relationship with God Almighty. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And everything that is of this earth belongs to him. And one day he will step out and he will claim it all. And he has set you aside for great things, for things he desires for you. And then the third one. The third one is beloved. And so we have this, I, I guess you could call it these steps that Paul lays out for us, that we are chosen, we are set apart. And, and as we get deeper and deeper into these words, they get closer and closer. They become more and more intimate, right? You're chosen. You've been selected. You're picked out. There's a plan for you, right? As churches, we have a, a plan that is set in place for us that God has left for us to, to accomplish, and with that, the purpose to accomplish it, right? And so not only are we chosen, but we are set apart. We are holy. We are peculiar. We, we have a specific purpose. But then he says that we're beloved. Well, well that's much deeper. <laughs> that's not just that we're set apart and we're useful and we're just this tool. We're beloved. We're cherished. We're, we're something special to God. We're gonna that's go kind of a big deal. <laughs> we're going to go ahead and Rashad this and add to plan and purpose that he was passionate about us and for us. Let that sink in for a second. God didn't just choose you because you are a tool in a toolbox. He didn't choose you because you were some item that would fill out his collection. He chose you. Because he loves you. So I want you guys to think about it this way. Those of you that have kids, um, I, I'm just going to assume that you love your kids. Is that, is that cool? <laughs> Anybody have a problem with that? No. <laughs> if so, wait till after to talk to them. Yeah, okay? yeah, don't, uh, yeah, don't indict yourself. Um, so assuming that you love your kids, do you have responsibilities for your kids, especially those that are older? I mean, infants, obviously, that's, that's tough, toddlers, but kids that are old enough to understand, to perceive things, and to do things. Who has responsibilities for their kids that are of that kind of age? It doesn't have to be anything real elaborate, but just like pick up after yourself or whatever, right? So we have responsibilities. How many of us want to see purpose for our kids? And as parents, our purpose is to lead and guide them to get to a place where they can then pursue their own, right? So we have purpose for our kids. We have responsibilities that we give our kids. And we maybe didn't select them on purpose, but, <laughs> but we got them. <laughs> but they're beloved. At the root of all of it is we love them. And so they're beloved. And so this, this identity or the character of, of the church is that the church is chosen and is holy and is beloved by God Almighty, the creator of the universe. That's how he feels about each individual within the church that makes up the body. And that's how he feels about the church as a whole. That's where you have to start, is recognizing your value and your worth to God first. And then the rest of it follows. We're blessed. We're fortunate. We get to serve in a capacity with a church. Um, we're also blessed and fortunate that we get to be part of a church. But we try to make sure in order for the sake of our humility, in the order for the sake of letting our pride not get the best of us, we try to remind ourselves that we are not God's chosen agency. Mm -hmm. We may be a part of a church, but God chose his church, his beloved church, to accomplish his purpose here on earth. Not the pastor, the church. Oh, we play a role, but guess what? So do you. The next part um, that we're going to look at, verse 13, if we could get back there, it says, bearing with one another in, um, if one has a complaint against another. Am I in the right spot? Yes. Um, forgiving oh. each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Uh, I actually fast-forwarded. Verse 12, um, being those things, being chosen, holy, and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. And so he gives us this list of characteristics. We, we have this identity of being beloved and being chosen and being set apart. And then we have these characteristics that identify us as that. Right? Those responsibilities and things that I have for my kids help people identify them with me. These characteristics help identify the church with God. Whether you like it or not, your kids are a reflection of you. <laughs> I mean, sometimes that's good, but let's be honest, sometimes that's pretty rough too. Um, your kids are a reflection of you, right? They're made up of your genetics if, if they're your children by birth. If you've adopted them, then you've chosen them. You've brought them into your life, and it's a reflection of your love for them that you chose them. They are a reflection of you. The way they conduct themselves is a reflection of the way that you have raised them and the way that you have taught them. And you say, Brother Jason, that's pretty stinking harsh stuff to say to me. But it's reality, right? And these qualities are reflections of God. They show that we belong to him. Hey, did he have a compassionate heart for us? That's a question y'all can answer. Not rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he loved us enough to send his son to die for us, right? Do we, do we get kindness we don't deserve from God on the daily basis? Absolutely. So then all these characteristics are reflections of a God who has definitely been patient with me. We could just keep going through the list. Humility, look at Philippians 2. He's God, and he put on the form of man to serve us, to, to save us. Meekness, obviously. <laughs> being gentle with us, being understanding with us, because we're knuckleheads, as Charles Barkley would say. And then, obviously, the patience. Like, God is still patient, because look at 2020, and he still hadn't come back and destroyed the earth yet. So, clearly, he's patient. <laughs> I thought it was that funny. That one wasn't in my notes. But <laughs> that was off the cuff. I thought it was funny, but... Um, so how do we do that? Well, verse 13, bearing with one another. Actually, if you look for a modern equivalent, because we searched for several, and the one that we came up with best, if we're just being honest and real, honest and real moment for a pastor to a congregation, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We, we, we like the word enduring one another. Um, listen. It sounds better than put up with. <laughs> well, I mean, put up with sounds like what I do with my children. Enduring doesn't necessarily sound like that, but it still sounds pretty rough, doesn't it? Um, but listen, there are some times within the life of each and every one of you um, that another church member has had to endure you. And if I'm going to be really honest, if I'm going to be really open, and I told Rashad and I told Jason both that I was going to be, there are times when you volunteered to do something for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then you just chose not to do it. Something came up, something happened, and you just sort of let that fall by the wayside, and it wasn't your intention, and you didn't do it spitefully or mean, but you let them down, and they still love you. They endured that. You weren't doing it to hurt them, or it wasn't on purpose, but they still endured, and they still loved you. We endure one another sometimes. My wife endures me sometimes, okay? Okay. She has to put up with me when I wake up first thing in the morning and I am ready to go at 5.30, eyes open, alert. And she's like, there is no reason on earth it is holy for a person to be this awake at 5 in the morning. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> this idea of, of enduring with one another, this is, it's deeper than just like, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. Mommy, he's trying to touch me. Like, it's, not, it's much more than putting up with kids. It's much more than kids putting up with each other. This is enduring in a relationship where life is messy and it's hard and it's not perfect. In fact, Paul writes in another letter, he says, love endures all things. And he's getting at that here as well. He's saying, let your love endure one another. Because you're going to have moments where you're, you're mad at somebody. You're angry with somebody in your church body, which is supposed to look more informal like a family than it is formal like a like a congress it's like that's not that's not the comparison that we're supposed to have we're look we look in the scripture and there's there's family there's body there's all these other terms that are very relational and so when you're in a family you're like you put up with each other sometimes you want to walk away and you're like i can't walk away I, if i do i got to come back you know 
Like, we want that escape. We live in a world where that is the, the choice that you have. But we're supposed to look different. We're supposed to look like Jesus. And so we endure, and so we have relationships with one another where we do sometimes have to endure. We have to put up with or tolerate those things about each other that would otherwise bug the crap out of us. So let's ask a real candid question real quick. When you're all up in your feels, I know that's probably a terrible way to say it, but when you're emotionally, you're feeling bad, you're feeling hurt, you're feeling whatever, immediately, and be candid here, who's the person you want to call and talk to from the church to help you resolve that issue? The pastor, right? Whether it's Rashad, whether it's Cervezi, that's the gut instinct. That's the thing to do. Um, If my wife is frustrated with me because I am am leaving socks all over the house, which she can tell you is something that she has put up with for years, um, who does she have to go to? Your mom. No, no. (laughs) She has me to go to, right? She has me to approach and express her frustration. She has me to come to and say, hey, here's the issue of what's going on. She has me to give grace to and mercy to. She has me to love through it. If you don't have a pastor and someone is bugging the snot out of you, who do you have to turn to? That person. That's it, right? And that's the idea here. If you are a family, you don't turn from something and run and tattle to another person. You run to them and say, I love you, but you've hurt me. I love you, you've done this, and it's, it's frustrating for me. And you talk through that. And by the way, if you're the one who is the person that they're coming to, it's your responsibility to receive it with grace and humility and say, I realize that, instead of bristling and defending yourself and saying, well, I have a right to do this, or I have a right to do that, or I should do this or that. Instead, receive it with grace and mercy and with love, because you know what? You are brothers and sisters in Christ. So the easy thing is just lose the relationship, right? Typically, we just want to walk away. And, and so now we've talked about both enduring and forgiving. Because in order to endure, we have to be willing to forgive one another, right? And, and God forgave us, so then we should be willing to forgive. And we see Jesus himself say that. And so if we're going to exemplify the one that has chosen us and who has set us apart and who has called us beloved, if we're going to reflect him, then we need to forgive one another. And if people are looking at a church and they're like, people are leaving, there's a lot of turnaround at that church. <laughs> That's not a good thing. And if the pastor leaves and the church falls apart, well, then where was the relationship here? It was just here. And that doesn't work either. And so forgiveness is a vital part. And I mean, I think that you all probably understand. Again, those of you that are married or in a relationship or have kids, or even kids with your parents, because parents aren't perfect, right? Any kids want to say amen to that? You can. It's free right now. Yeah, I got yeah, some hand raises. Like, hallelujah. Quick. That is so true. <laughs> like, and one of them was mine. Anyway, so <laughs> forgiving one another. And then he roots it in, in these next two things, and he just kind of wraps it all up or, or, or gives us this foundation of which these things come from. In verse 14. He says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Real love, not romantic. Oh, I love you. You're so great. Not feelings. Not feelings. But sacrificial, elevating others above yourself, putting yourself in a place of humility, love. That kind of love. Above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. You were called to peace. And so if the church is in distress or the pastor leaves and then, you know, the the church looks like a chicken with its head cut off, just running around, that that doesn't really exhibit peace. (laughs) It's not how I would describe it. And by the way, we didn't intend to spend long on verse 12 through here. And I'm going to tell you why we didn't intend to spend long on those verses. The reality is, is that most likely this entire body is somewhere in the midst of verses 12 through 16, or verses, yeah, verses 12 through 16. That's most likely where you are. 
You, you have relationships with other Christians. You maintain those relationships. You keep those relationships going. Sure, it's enduring and sometimes difficult. Sure, sometimes we have to be reminded to forgive one another. And there's a possibility that there is a little bit of strife and peace isn't always necessarily manifested. But if you looked at, by and large, churches across this country today, and you said, where do they fall on this sort of path? We would say that they're all trying to be humble. They're all trying to demonstrate kindness. They're all trying to have patience. They know love is important. They know that it's what brings harmony. Like, if we're being honest with ourselves and with y'all, like, the reality is... We know that most churches and most Christians find themselves in the midst of that. Going back to driving through Arkansas. I don't have to have anybody teach me how to get anywhere there. I know exactly where I'm going. But I come to Indiana and I don't have a clue, right? I still keep my speed. I can still set the cruise control and still obey traffic laws and not get out of my lane and start swerving all over the place. I can still all do that, do all that. But at the end of it, I don't know where to go next. So if we're being real honest, that's sort of where we feel like this is. Like 12 through 15, 12 through 16 is sort of where churches are. So I don't know if, I, I think you all understand and you get this. And I think what needs to happen is you need to share the, with, with those who aren't here right now. What, basically what we're doing, we're challenging you as a church to fulfill these responsibilities and make sure that it is rooted in love and that it is rooted in peace and that your motive is because of who you are in Christ. But fill that role for one another because there are people in church on the rock that are like, well, now who do I go to? Now what did I do? Now what? I can't call Rashad. And, you know, Jason, Jason's already feeling overwhelmed because he's got this probably self-inflicted pressure Maybe not. Maybe it is coming from outside. And so fill that role for one another. Reach out to one another. How can you help one another? How can you counsel one another, support one another, encourage one another, hold each other accountable, disciple one another, correct each other if needed? How can you do that as a church and make sure that you're doing it in love? And, and I'm at, that one is rhetorical because that one you figure out on your own. You know. You guys know that because you do it in your Everyday relationships. And honestly, church should be an everyday relationship. I'm going to go ahead and say amen to that. I know it's a southern thing to do, but amen. Church should be an everyday relationship. Um, verse 16. This is where, where what we're challenging you to do is go beyond. And it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything. <clears throat> Excuse me, I jumped too far ahead. I read the one on the book or on the screen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Um, give God obedience through discipleship. If you're honest with yourself, if you're candid for just a moment, where would you say the majority of the discipleship in your life takes place? Think about it. You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to contemplate that. Because if, if you look honestly and you say, I spend after this morning an hour and a half in the Word of God on Sunday morning and I don't get close to it at any other point, I'm with Christians teaching and discipling me and edifying me on Sunday morning for an hour and a half, and I don't get anywhere near that through the rest of the week, then what you are dependent upon is a pastor to disciple you, a pastor to teach you, a pastor to instruct you, a pastor to admonish you, encourage you, edify you through the word of God. And that's not what I find here. That's not what I see here. What I see here is he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. He did not include the word pastor, preacher, teacher. He did not include the word evangelist. He did not include the apostles or anyone pointed, appointed as elders or leadership within the church. He said, you, as the body, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know who is responsible? Jeff, you know who is responsible for discipling you? Not just you, not just your wife. Everyone here, everyone here, everyone here is as responsible for it. Because the indication here, as you look at it, as you see it, admonishing one another in all wisdom makes it a relational-based thing. If you are dependent on a pastor to grow a church, guess what? 
then you have stopped where you've grown. Spiritually and numerically, you have stopped. When you add a new pastor, you add new influence. You add new capacity to counsel. You add new capacity to teach. When you add another pastor, you add more to that. If you are dependent upon a pastor. But if you are not dependent upon a pastor, you spread the word of God throughout the entire world. Now, with this understanding, it says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Clearly, that's only talking about it at a church service, right? It's only for the worship leader, right? Guys, you two here, y'all were up here this morning, so we trust you guys just to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Just y'all, okay? Well, you and where'd she go? There she is. Um, that's it. That's it. Just them, right? Nobody else? This the, is a concept that's gotten lost again, that we don't, we don't do that normally, but... You know what I find that music really moves through people. It doesn't, and I'm not talking in in a in a churchy way. I'm talking just secularly, worldly. Like people love music, right? People do goofy things to and for music, <laughs> and they'll act ridiculous on a screen from thousands or even millions to see because of the way that music makes them feel and. They, they thrive off of it. Well, this music is specifically about God, what he's done for us, our praise to God, our thankfulness for God. Shouldn't that usher something in us to want to do that? Not just once a week with each other, but to do it consistently. And the teaching one another, again, doing that even beyond the pastor himself. And I'm not talking in a structured small group, five, nine, Sunday school or anything like that. I'm talking about on the day-to-day. I'm talking about Jeremy being able to call up Clinton and say, hey, man, what are you guys doing in your family Bible study? And Clinton, what are you doing in your personal Bible study? What are you going through? I'm just kind of looking for some ideas. I want to see how you're growing in God. That's the church teaching and admonishing one another. That's the, the church encouraging one another and supporting one another. I find a biblical truth, and guys, it's a simple but it's a profound biblical truth, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's reality. As pastors, as churches, sometimes we try to simulate that. We try to replicate that. We create programs and we create expectations and we ask people to call other people so many times a week or whatever the case may be. But the reality is, is that it is just a program, and once people get tired of it, they're going to stop it. But if I value you, if I love you, then I'm never going to stop checking on you. I'm never going to stop trying to disciple you. When we came up here, we decided that relationships were the best way to grow a church. It'll be slower. Oh, you bet. Because, again, you're limited to the relationships that you form. But the more I invest in somebody, you know what? The more I love them. The more I love them, the more I want to teach them about Jesus Christ. The more I want to share with them what God has done for me. The more I want to be thankful for their presence there, the more I want to praise God with them, worship God with them, the more that I find a commonality in Christ with them. Sure, I can replicate programs. Sure, I can can schedule stuff. But at the end of it all, if I don't love you, if I don't truly love you, then what's it worth anyway? You go back to those previous verses. Look, you want to grow through this spiritually and numerically? You got to learn to love one another. Your heart it has to be your treasure, has to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and by the way, it's not just singing. Look, we show thanks to God in a multitude of ways. But I can tell you one thing. I just don't think we ever sing enough saying thanks to God, worshiping enough towards God. Um, so you look at the third one here. Go ahead, John. The last one is um, in verse 17. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in your everyday life, you're exhibiting God. You're doing it as a part of a church body, but you in your individual life. And when so many of you do that, you're reflecting the body. And you're expressing who Christ is to the people around you. And so just 
to give you this breakdown, we see that we're supposed to obey God and how we interact with people. We're supposed to give God our thanks, but then we're also supposed to give him the glory with our lives. In Romans, Paul wrote that that's our acceptable act of worship, is to live our lives as a living sacrifice for him. And so in everything that we do, with that being the reason behind it, that we are living that day, that moment for God, that whatever we do, whatever we say is for God. We're to give God the glory. And let's be honest about that for just a second. You can give God glory by yourself, absolutely. You can stand on a street corner and you can sing your lungs out and you can sing loud and everyone around can hear and they'll know that you sure do love God, right? But let's talk about the nature of human relationships for a second. We live in a world where people start arguing and fighting with one another and they're like, I'm done with this person, I'm gone. How do we know that? Because half of marriages end in divorce, right? How do we know that? Because I don't know about you, but I have family members right now who don't want to talk or have anything to do with me because they're upset with me for one reason or another. So then how much more than standing on a street corner yelling and shouting about how great God is? How much more glorifying is it to God in a world where relationships do not matter like they're supposed to? That you and your brother or you or your sister in Christ endure one another, forgive one another, sacrifice for one another, care for one another, admonish one another, teach one another, worship with one another. How much more glory is it to God when it's two of you who do it together and then four of you who do it together or eight of you who do it together or 16 of you who do it together or so on and so forth. And then you reach 300 people in a building together and someone walks in and they're packed like sardines and nobody's complaining about having their foot stepped on or worried about what's going to happen to them. But together they are glorifying God and nothing else matters. It's 85 degrees in a building because you can't cool it down fast enough. And they're still worshiping God and loving him. And they have all different backgrounds and all different places that they've come from and where they've been to. And together they're holding one another accountable and they're discipling one another. And then God is glorified because we are living like Jesus Christ. You didn't have to have us here today. I don't even know that you needed us here today. Because when I look to Colossians chapter 3, what I find is that God has given you everything you need sitting in a chair right now. He's giving you everything that you have to have to glorify him, to spread the gospel, to disciple one another, and everything you need is in those chairs. I do want to wrap up by saying this, and if the worship team wants to go ahead and prepare and, and head this way, um, we're not saying that you don't, you shouldn't have a pastor. <laughs> Please don't misunderstand that that's what we're saying, that you guys got this. You know? Does everyone like a gift? Everyone here like to get gifts, right? And pastors are gifts to churches. We want them. We want them for you. We want them for the church we're a part of. We want them for all churches. And I would prefer to have a GPS and know where I'm going, to be honest, right? To use Jason's illustration in his earlier. But the point of this today was to let you know that this isn't a time to freak out. This isn't a time to stress. In fact, this isn't a time to even be stagnant or survive. This is a time for you to be able to grow and thrive as a church. To put to action the things that have been taught for really years, but especially the last few months. So take this time. Invest in one another. Get close to one another. Know one another and love one another and, and be the church as the Bible expresses it to be. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be up here. Thank you for the attention span of the people that are listening to us. And uh, God, I pray that it, that it landed. I pray that the intention and the, the reason behind the message that you laid on our hearts, um, that it made sense that they can take it with them, that we can take it with us, and that we can actually apply it to our lives. Um, God, I pray that we would recognize who we are in you. And God, more than that, I, I pray that we would recognize you 
your greatness, your worthiness, and that we ought to praise you simply because of who you are, and yet you give us so many other reasons as well. We thank you for that. We thank you for your son, Jesus, most of all, who you gifted to us on the cross and who rose again so that we could be saved and we could have a relationship with you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, guys, you want to stand up? We're going to sing one more worship song to God. You are here. for today. <clears throat> Lord, we are humbled and we are in awe of you. Um, I 
now certain things seem to fall and leave, Lord, we just stand here and we acknowledge that, God, you never leave us. Lord, you are the way maker. You, um, you've chosen us and you've called us, Lord, and I ask that we all would be diligent to the things that you've given us, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you so much, um, Lord, for the speakers for coming out and offering this time to us, Lord, as, as fellow brothers in Christ, for lifting us up, for admonishing us, Lord, for encouraging and challenging us, Lord, for doing everything that they told us to do, they did today, Lord. So we thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to join us on this podcast from Church on the Rock here in Brownsburg, Indiana. If you would like any more information about our church family, our pastor, or where we meet, please visit our website, www.churchontherockbb.com.